welcome to the KuzaCast, where we interview some of the most influential people in tourism from around the world. My name is Graham Watson, and I'm the founder of Kuza Global. The word Kuza means a new dawn, and in 2023, we want to find out just how our guests are working towards that new dawn. Join us and subscribe to future episodes as we hope to inspire you with stories of strength and resilience in the tourism industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Kuza Cast. Today, my guest is Mandisa Makwakaza. And uh, I hope I pronounced that right, Mandisa. And um, we are talking about the, the tourism industry, as you well know, and how we are recovering from the COVID pandemic. So welcome, Mandisa. Thank you so much, Graham. Good to see you again, and thanks for having me. No problem at all. We, we've got to know each other well over the being on the SATSA board together. And then during lockdown, we were uh, on, on the wonderful app Clubhouse together. We got to know each other even more there. Yes. <laughs> yes, you witnessed the, the beginning of my of my broadcasting career. <laughs> yeah, those those were the days. I mean, I'm actually I've got I've gotten back onto Clubhouse now. And um, I still think it's a great platform for networking and uh, yeah, so it's definitely something something to look at continuing if you if you have the time. I know everybody's swamped at the moment. So welcome to KuzaCast. Thanks so much for agreeing to be a guest. Uh, I've been admiring your journey for, for many years since we first met. Uh, I think it was at Joburg Airport on the way to a SATSA board meeting. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, if you could just let the listeners know a little bit about who you are, your your history so far, and how you got into the tourism industry, and and what you're up to nowadays. Sure. How long do we have? <laughs> as long so, as you need. Um. So sure. My how I got into tourism. I'm actually going to start there because it's actually very attached to where I'm from. So it's all in one story. So I was born on a little farm or in a farming community halfway between. Uh, what is now Kabecha and used to be Port Elizabeth and Makanda, which used to be Grahamstown. So there's a farming community there. And if you've ever gone in, on a game reserve in the Eastern Cape, it's pretty much in this area or you drive past this area. The farm that I was born on is actually flanked by the Lalibela game reserve on one side and oh, the Pumba game reserve on the other. So I'm sure you might have a mental picture of the way that is. Absolutely. Um, so I was born there in Seven Fountains and um, to a farming, you know, a family of farm laborers. And my mom became a domestic worker in Port Elizabeth. So when I was about three or four, um, the people that she worked for invited me to come and live with them because my mom was, as you know, Graham, in those times in South Africa and still today was a sleep in domestic worker. So she came home once a month and every month when they came to pick her up, they probably witnessed this child wailing and bawling her eyes out. And I think it oh, probably yeah. got, got to them in the end. So they invited me to, to live with them. And that's purely the reason why I was able to get, you know, a better education. I went to school here in Kabecha, went to Sunridge Primary, St. James Roman Catholic High School. And then eventually I went to go study at Rhodes University. And while I was in high school, I'd always, you know, after school would waitress at the local restaurants and things like that. And so when I went back to Grahamstown, which is where Rhodes University is to study, I, I, um, I then worked vacations and weekends at the game reserves and and yeah because I used to go home for holidays and instead of coming to PE I used to go to my gran on the farm and it was like literally in walking distance to to get to Lalibela or Pumba and so I ended up um, doing most of my vacation work at the Pumba private game reserve and that's how I got into this industry I mean being a girl from the Eastern Cape at that point, I had never been out of the Eastern Cape, Graham. I think mm. the first time I actually took my own leisure vacation out of the Eastern Cape, I got on a train in Grahamstown to the Northern Cape, and that was it. Living my best <laughs> life <laughs> on my way to Colesburg, of all places. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so working at at Pumba, like, goodness, I got to meet guests from all over the world, as you can imagine. And yeah. really um, just being around people that had so much experience in the industry and hearing their stories, I, I really fell in love with it. And I was studying anthropology. Well, that was one of my majors. And, and I did a, a paper in my third year about the displacement of communities, you know, due to ecotourism, because that was the reality that my family had lived, right? We were eventually moved from the farm um, because of this, the, 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 the explosion of game reserves in the area. And just also um, other reasons that actually then were spin-offs from the new economic, um, you know, transition when it came to agriculture versus um, ecotourism and conservation within the farming communities of the Eastern Cape. But that's a story for another day. So anyway, so while I was doing this paper, I ended up at on the Lalibela Reserve working at a little lodge called Kichaka. Don't know if oh, you remember okay. that. Um, yes, I do. But it's there now. It's actually officially part of Lalibela. Yeah, so it was owned by a British gentleman by the name of Tim Fenner at the time. And his wife, Daphne, was actually in my anthropology class. And so I got to know of the reserve. I went there and, and you know, just working. And the beauty of being from the community and then working at the lodge was that I got to see a different side of the people that I grew up around, my elders, who were working on the reserve in various roles, you know, from housekeeping to the kitchens. My uncle was the maintenance um, supervisor at Kichaka, literally my mom's brother. And I got to experience like this whole full, full circle, I think is, is the right term. Witness the full circle of having witnessed them as farm laborers and now these people that had gained new skills and were hospitality professionals, right, in the industry. And so I flip, I fell in love with it. The the lady who was doing marketing um at the time for Kichaka was a lady by the name of Gabby Cromeyer and she lived in Cape Town. So she was based in Cape Town and she needed someone on the reserve who could, you know, just assist with hosting agents that came through and through that I got to meet a lot of agents who were based in Cape Town and Durban and, and Johannesburg. And I came to quickly understand that the heart of the industry is in Cape Town. And I was like, well, I'm hooked on this industry now, so I better get my tush to Cape Town. Mm -hmm. And we used to work um, a very cool cycle where you'd work for three weeks. Um, but luckily for me, unlike others, I actually got weekends off. And then you'd get the fourth week, uh, you'd get the whole week off. So in November, which is my birthday month of uh, 2009, I, um, I planned that I would have, I would spend my week off in Cape Town so that I could see what opportunities I could get. So I sent emails to all of the hotels that I'd been trawling, trolling online, the Cape Grace, the Mount Nelson, the 12 Apostles. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing at the moment. I'm coming to Cape Town. Love to come and drop off my CV. So if I can meet someone to do that, that would be great. And I think I sent about 14 emails, um, six or seven hotels got back to me. So by the time I went, I had about seven appointments. Um, Gosh. Yeah, 12 Apostles, Mount Nelson, Cape Grace, the Mandela Roads place, quite a few places. And my first appointment I remember was at the Cape Grace. So anyway, so I took an intercape bus to Cape Town and I, my neighbor from Rhodes, who was my neighbor in Rez, was living in Rondebosch. So I crashed on her couch until I posted on Facebook that I'm in Cape Town and previous guests from Kichaka saw the, the Daltons. And they're like, come and stay with us in Constantia. I was like, oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> Which was really amazing because, mm -hmm. you know, they were an amazing family that had a daughter my age. And we connected when I was hosting them. Um at Kichaka and there's like, we'd love to see you. And they actually showed me and they took me to Colk Bay and all these touristy things, which I might have or might have done, but 
yeah, that was really amazing. So um, I had all my appointments. My first one was at the Cape Grace. I remember my appointment was with Jean Nage and Lenise Luber. I don't know if you know them. And no. yeah, so Nigel Pace was the GM at the time. So I had my interview with them and they called me back the Monday. I was I was due to get on a bus that evening and I lugged all my luggage to the Cape Grace to have my second interview. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. But I mean, I couldn't do anything else. I didn't have a car. So I lugged my luggage to the Cape Grace. I could have a second interview before I left to back to the Eastern Cape. And that was with the GM, which was Nigel Pace. And yeah, I got the job. I got an email when I got to the office the next week. And that's how I got my job, my first job in Cape Town. And I moved and I never looked back. I worked at Cape Grace um, and then I worked at the Steenberg in, in yeah, on the other side of the And then at the time when I was at the Steenberg, quite a, a stalwart in the industry, um, Sumari Foster, she was my manager. And unfortunately, she passed away um, while I was there. So the dynamic of the job changed a lot because I assisted her with um, just admin and res and things like that. And and like there were a lot of changes happening and, uh, and the environment just became a lot for me. So I decided to, to, to leave. Um, I got an opportunity at booking.com, which was incredible. Um, working at booking.com was the first time I traveled internationally. I they have they did they still I don't know if they still do them now, but back then they did their amazing booking.com annual meetings in Amsterdam and we would go as the content team to various places around the world and that was pretty cool. So I stayed at booking.com for a while and that's when I think my career really turned from operations and 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 some and a little bit of sales to full on digital and understanding what it took to place a property in the digital space. And fortunately for me, I have the gift of language. So then crafting that gift together with my, my experience in hospitality to be able to really promote a product online and then further being trained to, to have an eye for what, you know, what is visually appealing and not only visually appealing, but you know, the science behind um, digital marketing. And so I was at booking.com until, you know, personal circumstances just kind of led me to want to leave Cape Town. And I decided, okay, I want to leave Cape Town, but I don't want to leave the Western Cape. So how about we go live in Franschhoek? You know, it's always been such a beautiful place. So I moved to Franschhoek and in Franschhoek, I worked for Suzanne Bailey Carp at Classic Portfolio. And that was really a pivotal point in my career. I learned so much. The group of ladies at that time, Suzanne didn't hire any, any guys. And we were a group of women in the office and I worked within the content department, still writing, creating fact sheets, rate sheets, putting properties, um, onboarding them onto the website, all that stuff. So it was a mix of what I'd gained from booking.com and also, of course, with my knowledge of, you know, the safari landscape and, and all of that. So, yeah, I learned a lot, but then it was finally time for me to really come home. I was yearning to come back to the Eastern Cape. And after all those years in Cape Town, I thought I could come back and really make a difference, right? Because I'm sure my skills um, were needed or could be put to good use. And I did what I did when I was trying to get to the to the Western Cape. I called around and I said, you know, this is who I am. I really want to move back to the Eastern Cape. Is there an opportunity for me? Mantis Collection answered my call and um, they met with me and then they hired me. They When when they hired me, they didn't really have a job for me. They're like, well, we kind of going through a big transition. We don't really have a marketing team at the moment, but we're probably going to start setting it up. So come in and see what you can do. And I think in any career, um going into a place that is being formed or a space that is being formed is a great opportunity to, to apply yourself and actually put systems in place that, you know, that you can work with that, you know, and that's exactly what I did at Mantis. I went in and, you know, helped create the systems for marketing and digital content management and all of that. And, 
and started growing my network within the city to create packages alongside Nelson Mandela Bay tourism. Um, yeah, so I think Mantis Collection was probably the first hotel group to actually package the Nelson Mandela Bay Pass, and and we did that. And mm. that I was at Mantis up until COVID knocked and banged down all of our doors of safety. The dreaded, the dreaded COVID. Yeah. The dreaded COVID, Graham. Um, so when I met you, yeah. you were actually the first person, I, the first board member I met at Satsa with um, Professor Johan May, soul rest in peace. And I was still at Mantis at that time. Um, so COVID happened. And in the 18 months before COVID, I'd started um, this development program with Mantis, having identified that, you know, I'd love to be independent. I'd love to work them work with them as a consultant. And, you know, they were open to the idea. My direct boss at the time, Ignis LaRue, was very supportive of the idea and he's like, yeah, let's do it. So I was in different trainings and things to get to a point where I could open my own business. So when COVID hit, I'd already registered Molomambi Relations. Um, I just wasn't working in it full time, of course. And I guess COVID came and just like just ex expedited all of that. And so I went in. At first, I didn't even use the company's name. I was just like, I was just working as myself, using my name. And I must say, being at Satsa, because at the time, I was the Eastern Cape chapter chair, still am. And being at Satsa and being involved in everything that was happening in terms of, you know, getting the message about the protocols out there, forming protocols, and just really being on the other side of the phone when any member was going through anything. And sometimes it was, a, I don't know, let me find out. And just having that Satsa network to call various people and find information out and be able to give valuable advice was really incredible. Um, and all the work that Satsa did from the protocols to right up until fighting to get us off the red list um, was, oh goodness, it was an education. I think we all got a deep education in crisis management um, during yep, that time. Sure. <laughs> and so it also, I think that journey also prepared me to be a fully fledged business owner within the tourism space. And because in 2021, I finally launched Molomambi Relations as Molomambi Relations. And it was after I attended the Mpumalanga Tourism Expo, which inspired me greatly. And I was like, you know what? The industry is hopeful. And if the industry is hopeful, if the individuals that have been through such a tough time and have held on to their businesses are hopeful enough to get together and put a tourism expo on in Mpumalanga and make it a success, then there's sign of life and let me just commit because at that time I was doing work sorry I'm going back and forth but at that time I was doing work for other industries right I was writing for lawyers firms and and engineering companies and all of that and I was thinking maybe I should just step away from the industry and just work as a generalist a generalist in communications um you know for, that can just work in any industry and that's a hard decision after 15 years of being in this industry and, and leaving it yeah it's, it's, it's there's a there's a like a magnet that that draws you back it's uh i think it's a great great industry the people and what we do for a living i think it's uh when you when you are responsible for creating you know i know it's cheesy and cliche but when we do create people's future memories and you know, when when we when we look back and we personally, like each and every individual, every consultant sitting there, you know, I think we underestimate what we what we do for a living. You know, the fact that we've put in a certain lodge that you know that's that little girl or little boy who goes is going to remember that for the rest of their life and draw back, you know, during the sad times and and look back to those happy times. You know that that and you've had a part in creating those happy times. So I really do think we underestimate the what we do for a living and that's why it keeps drawing us back because of the power that that um and the joy that that we we feel and create i think i i agree with you completely especially having started in ops and hosting and 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 waitressing 
and all of that. And even in reservations where you literally are part of that process and, and, and building up that excitement for someone, it really is that it really is about creating future memories. You've hit it on the spot. And I was thinking of Marie Kondo because I'm such a fan. And I thought you were going to say, we actually spark joy because that's the corny line that was in my head. I was like, we <laughs> truly create people's joy. And we're part of a joyful side of people's lives, which is quite cool, I think. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, so so being at that tourism expo, in Bumalanga was was my moment when my when the penny dropped for me I was like you know what um there's a reason I love this I love tourism let me really just put down my roots I relaunched the business well launched the business in and in, in, as Molomambi relations Molomambi by the way Graham means hello traveler in Isakosa. oh cool yeah yeah I was gonna say we need to just clarify what that means for uh for the international guests so yeah, we've both got very, um, very nice uh, brand names. Molo Mambi, hello, hello, traveler. Hello, traveler. And then, you know, Kuza, yeah, as you know, you you helped me make sure that it was the correct word. I remember asking you, Yay. and you said absolutely means a new beginning, a new dawn in the morning. So, well, yeah, that's what a what a fantastic uh, company name. Yeah, yeah. So yes, it's Molo Mambi Relations, and Molo Mambi is is actually a, a name or a phrase that precedes the business. <clears throat> I think the first time I took a business venture to Adrian Gardner, who's the owner of Mantis, I took him I yes. took a, a, a little binder to him. Um, and the name was Mola Mamba Relations. And, that, and at that time, I was thinking about ways of bridging the, the payment gaps and the payment method gaps um, for the local market in travel, just being having always worked in luxury hospitality and for luxury hospitality, but being back home and realizing that out of my family, out of my community, I'm one in a million, you know, to be the person, to be a person that has experienced the things that I have. And then I was looking at the, the payment methods and, and just financial management and ways that aren't just indigenous to our communities and thinking that surely, you know, tourism can adapt to these already existing, um, you know, methods of managing money and payments and things and adapt to that in order to increase, um, you know, the locals, the probability of locals actually traveling in various markets within South Africa. And so this is something that I, and that was called Molomambi. And that was, and that just came from being able to greet someone as the industry, greet a traveler in that term, and that being that person's language, right? That which yeah, is yeah. Kosa, people that look like me, Kosa, Zulu, whoever, they South African will know what Molo is. And so it just mm. symbolizes inclusion and and including people that have, for social, economic, and historical reasons, kind of being left out of tourism. And so when I was registering a, basically a PR and marketing company, which is what Molomambi Relations is, I went back to the name because for me, it was still about inclusion because I felt if I'm going to bring my services to the table and having always worked in the luxury market, then how about I serve other segments of the industry and help them get to you know the set similar standards um and similar communication standards similar marketing standards so that they could compete neck and neck with with anybody else and that was the original vision going in and and starting Molomambi relations but as you know, Graham, when you're in business, it kind of takes a, takes a life of its own, hey? It's both by it does, necessity does, and nature. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, what a, what an, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you realize what an inspiring story you have. And hopefully you, hopefully you, you, um, yeah, I mean, I, I know you as a very humble person, but I think you, you need to um, really harness all the, all, all that, uh, past that that you all that experience that that you've that you've gathered um in your own business and then well as well as helping others um so yeah i mean i, I do think i mean that the twists and turns so many 
serendipitous moments in your in your career that kind of put you on the right path i mean it's very much still a, a growing tree and i think you you've been up you know you've you've got many branches and i think your your tree has uh, got a lot more, more more to go from what it looks like so congratulations of everything that you've done so far oh thank you graham that's very very kind of you thank you and you know for no for me uh when i think about my journey in tourism um i always it's it's very much purpose driven and the reason i started with the story of where i'm from is because I think ultimately that's where my story will end up back in seven fountains and prayerfully, hopefully, you know, being able to go back into my community and ensure that tourism does truly benefit um, communities like mine and starting there because you know, my grand, my cousins and, and other members of my family still live there in conditions that are not so great and and are as a result of tourism, unfortunately, which is the other flip side to to ecotourism and conservation that we never hear. But it's not it's not the be all and the end all because I believe that tourism is also the key to changing that as well and to completely improve the lives of people beyond jobs because I think people will benefit you know rural communities and township communities will truly benefit from tourism when there's ownership and equity and I think in leveraging you know all the things we enjoy about our culture um, we can certainly achieve that so when I think about my future in tourism and in life and where this tree that you speak of will probably end up going, I think it's really full circle right back to to just finding solutions for that for that area of South Africa. You spoke a bit about the the digital marketing strategies. Uh, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a full on uh, tech nerd. I, I I love all the or the digitization of everything, I think that uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I think the days of walking around with printed brochures are, are long gone. Everybody wants to wants a link on an email. And, you know, not only is it better for the environment, but it's just, it's just a, a far more, yeah, I mean, I just, I just think that the the productivity tools and, and everything that you can get, get from from technology and digital strategies are are fantastic and the reach that that you can get so what i mean can you speak to like the role of digital content in in the tourism industry and and how you see it evolving uh, particularly in your your company like successful media relations and content production strategies that involve purely purely digital and i i think there's going to be a lot of challenges with onboarding a lot of the segment of the of the industry that that you're trying to work with the 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 startups that that maybe don't have the tech savvy or even the equipment to to implement that digital strategy for their business so i mean how how do you see the the evolution of that for the tourism industry digitization well i think covid definitely fast tracked us right in in that well the whole lockdown and not just the lockdown but the protocols and making sure that things were less, um, there were less touch points. And it and that necessitated people and the industry, particularly when it comes to marketing, finding and sticking to digital solutions, because they'd always been there, but no one was really using things. And um, one thing for me, which is quite simple, but I realized um, and have realized over the last couple of years to play a really important role in business is the role of, of WhatsApp which is which yep. which I try and encourage um, my clients to use internally and externally it is a very nice way to be able to communicate with communicate with clients within a homogenous um you know ecosystem they're they're on whatsapp all the time but the beautiful thing about whatsapp is that people go onto whatsapp and whatsapp statuses by choice so they're not consistently bombarded, but should they go onto their statuses and have a look, it's there. And if they go onto your contact and you've properly filled out all of the tools, 
they can go and see your fact sheet, your brochure, your rate sheet, everything by choice, quickly accessible on their phone in a medium that they're using all the time. And so that's, I think, one of the low-hanging fruits for every kind of hospitality business, whether they have the budget, the savvy or not. It's, I think, WhatsApp has proven to be highly accessible and because people just use it in everyday life. And when it comes to digitization, I think the the more natural something is and falls into people's everyday life, including the language that you create on your digital content platforms. In because I mean I come from a time when in luxury, when you market a luxury product, you've used the highest English you can, you know, even as reservations consultants, we were employed for how we spoke and how, you know, how we presented ourselves. But I think um, people like human connection and, and people like to be real. So, and from a language perspective, as someone that deals a lot with, with writing and speaking, um, just speaking in everyday English and using everyday, yeah. everyday concepts is something for now and the future. And yeah, I think that, sorry, I mean, I, I think that the, there doesn't need to be a, a, a difference between, in many ways, technology and digitization can actually foster that human connection more because people think, oh, well, we need that human touch. We need that connection. So, you know, we, we're going to do this, 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 and and kind of try and exclude technology from that. But as you just said, you know, using the productivity tools, um, I like Telegram as well, by the way. I yes. think it's a great, yeah, I mean, you can create the channels and the all that the groups and I mean Telegram is great for those people who also don't want to expose their their phone number too. So that's um so WhatsApp and Telegram for me are are great are great tools. But yeah, I mean as I said, I think it definitely can lead towards more human interaction using these productivity tools and the the reach. I mean I don't know where my business would be without social media and and the reach that I mean, you know, we I spoke about Clubhouse earlier. the The amount of business leads that I work with now on a constant daily basis that stemmed from those few months on Clubhouse when everybody was on it. I mean, remember those wonderful Wake Up South Africa yeah. every morning at eight o'clock. You were a moderator, and I used to pop up every now and again and say hello. And uh, I mean, that's that was great. That's why I'm getting back onto Clubhouse because it's you do get that connection. And yeah, I mean, I just, I don't want to harp on too much about it, but I, I think that the the technology, the all the different platforms, I think everybody needs to look at the Reddits, the Discords, the, the yeah, the, I mean, the Telegrams, the WhatsApps, the WeChats, the, you know, everything, just what, what I've learned, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, the, the list goes on. And I think just be as on as many of those platforms as you can. And you just never know when a lead will pop up from 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 a post you did months back. And uh, I think for any entrepreneur, it's it's the the tenacity that that we all need to keep going, even if a post doesn't elicit forty thousand likes within the first five minutes. Just leave it there, give it time, because somebody may see that in a few months and come back to you. So that's advice that I would give any entrepreneur starting up. Don't expect instant results. Just keep on going. Cause I, I definitely have had that months later, someone coming through and, and generating, you know, actual income for me. So yeah, it's, uh, it's great to see what, what you, what you're doing as well. It's uh, and to talk a bit more about, I don't know if you're still working with Algoa FM. Yes, yes. Um, on Saturday, I did my 19th show, actually. But um, just to talk about what you were saying now, you know, it's so true. I will I will get onto Algoa now. And it's so true because sometimes we, we are in an environment of instant gratification. And it's very difficult, even from, you know, the perspective of content marketers, because clients want to see results all the time. However, I think, taking the approach of cataloging and and that's how I approach social media, particularly if a client doesn't have the budget to, to, to buy, um, you know, reach um, looking at it as a catalog cataloging perspective, because you might find a lot of the time I see people and followers and non-followers will save a post, but they won't like a post or anything. And then just, that just tells you that 
people take note, but not to react at that moment. And we sometimes have that expectation in marketing that, you know, you, 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 you put something out now, or even in our own businesses, you put something out now, the person's going to see it now, and they're going to react now. And there is a, a time divide. So I think approaching social media as cataloging, as creating evidence, right, uh, that evidence of your product that it lives that it's alive and that it's something that's legit it's very important and just having that mind can alleviate some stress maybe but of course there are different strategies for different types of businesses other businesses really need to be aggressive in sales and that's when you actually put money behind and but then again you have to have your data straight and make sure that you're targeting all the right people um in my business personally um for me i found that the human interaction is where I gain the most from social media, like messaging people, talking to them on LinkedIn. And I really will follow suit, Graham, and get back to Clubhouse because on Clubhouse, you can have conversations with people all around the world in these different rooms. And truly, that is where you um, you make a lot of progress. And I will be getting on there because, as I was saying to you earlier on, Molo Mambi Relations has completely morphed from starting as this uh, PR uh, consultation and we're now evolving into sales, um, which is really great because our approach is actually to use those foundations and the knowledge from content marketing and public relations and all those principles to really, you know, just create even more dynamic strategies when it comes to sales. So I will definitely be coming on back on Clubhouse for that because I've got my first few clients in Rwanda, which is very exciting. Lovely. It's a very exciting part of South African history, right? And the African dynamic at, the, at this time. Rwanda is like our hero in Africa. Yes, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing though what what they went through and where they are today. It's its an amazing success story. What's your main focus there? I mean, how do you help business and organizations tell their stories, you know, grow more relevant, uh, you know, while, whilst, while I think you're also trying to focus on businesses staying authentic to their African roots. How do you, what's the main advice that you would give anybody coming to you, particularly I'm not sure if you deal with 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 uh, very young entrepreneurs who are just starting out, but what, yeah, I mean, just basically, what's what's the strategy that you employ? What's the main kind of mission statement that that your business would have? Yeah, so the diamond is our little icon, and it is that for a reason. We we take a three step approach, and we find that everything that makes a business amazing. And the gems of that business are already in the business. They are in the people, they are in the culture, in what in the bare bones. And so we have a three-step approach where we call it dig, polish, and display. So we will go in and we'll dig for those gems because sometimes when you're in the business, you can't see the forest for the trees. And it just helps to have an outside person to say, hey, you've got all this amazing art up. Do you realize that that's something special? You could create amazing just tours. Thursdays, have your wine. Someone can can walk through the hotel just looking at the art. You just have to label it um, and someone can have a, a walkthrough on their own. And, and you can actually turn that into a revenue stream, which is something that I actually originally did at Mantis Number no. 5 while I was there. And, uh, and I'm currently doing now for a client in Rwanda. Um, and then going in and learning about the, the, the people within the hotel, because sometimes I think in hospitality, particularly, we overlook the, the treasures that are within the people that work in the space. And we, yes, they're all there to fulfill a role, but you will not believe the ideas that you could get just from having conversations and understanding. And for me, it was very interesting even going to Rwanda because it's completely foreign to me, unlike South Africa and learning things about the different foods and, and um, you know, just how do you make plantain, for example, and coming in with wonder and fascination and, and, and being able to actually, you just help them realize that this thing that you take for granted, because it's just part of your everyday, it's something that I would love to learn. 
and and then again creating an experience out of that and then what we do when it comes to polishing that is when we then um polish it into a product um into something that is something that they can sell whether it's a revenue stream whether it's a value add for for guests that are in the hotel whether it's an extra experience um, maybe it's something that they can do in partnership with another company then we polish that in order to create a proper package out of it and something that is a product um and then the last part is display. As you know, you'll never sell your diamond if it's not on a window display. <laughs> so the last part is displaying. And then that's when we really hone into which platforms are right. And obviously, there's a lot of work that goes behind that, right? Together with market research, understanding your market, uh, your your industries, um, understanding your your market personas, which you typically speak about, which is what who am I really speaking to? Putting a face to that person, um, you know, what kind of life do they li- live? What kind of problems do they have? What are they challenged by? What does it take for them to succeed? And how do I fit into that as a brand? Right? How does our company fit into that? If if our if our clientele are these high flying executives and they always need to be chasing deadlines and they're meeting with clients how can we make that easier for them and that's really the display and then where do we get them where do we speak to them and and through that process it's obviously we do a lot of work with with the team um one thing that i've come to understand is that you can put out the most amazing packages but if the people that need to execute it on the ground don't understand it then <laughs> you might as well <laughs> just leave it so we'd make Thank sure you. yeah we make sure that what we're putting out there to the world everyone that is going to be managing it the people who's in whose hands the guests are going to be they understand it very well and then we then create the content for it so does it need a brochure does it need a pamphlet obviously creating a whatsapp status for it, um, anything, all the stories, and we make sure that it can exist on every platform where a guest would interact with the brand. So we do that part and we have a graphic designer. I do a lot of the writing. We create all of these beautiful things. And then obviously pricing, pricing it and all of that together with the with the client. And that's basically what we do in a nutshell. And so now we're really taking that that display part of it a little further to interface with the trade Um, because we have the network we are in the industry and it's just really one step further to making sure that our clients get the most of what we know and and what we can bring to the table awesome but okay cool yeah so what there's, there's so much positivity around the industry and and i think that we've all come through so much and we had to train our brains in the last three years to focus on what's going right. We, we, you know, there's, there's a, we can list so many things that have come out of COVID for, for the better. What do you think, what would you like to see change that still needs to change in the industry to make it a, to make it great going forward? Are there any things that you still, I mean, it sounds like you've, uh, <laughs> you can think of a few. <laughs> I have many. Where's my scroll? <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, for me, Graham, I think particularly from a perspective of being a South African um, and having gone through 15 years in the industry of being taught the market, where do we market? Who is our client? Who are we speaking to? We've never had the African in mind as as an industry. Um, and That's come up a lot actually in the podcast that I've done and anybody who wants to go back and listen to the others it's it's yeah it's make africa travel accessible to africans yeah make african travel travel accessible to africans but it, i think it goes a lot deeper than that Allah, was it last year or in 2021 um and myself did a webinar that's a webinar on inclusion and what that means i think um it goes down to having culturally sensitive and conscious uh i don't know how to phrase it but have making sure that the business and the people in the business are aware of their biases um particularly in a landscape like south africa and a lot of other countries um where 
there are biases that are just so ingrained in who we are and, and the way we think and every day. And we don't realize the point at which those become external and the point at which those show up and how we show up. And when we are, as hospitality and tourism professionals, the first line, or not first line of defense, but, you know, the first, I would say, the first people that, that interact with people from the outside, that, that we are, we really should embody um, what it means to, to respect differences and diversity and not only respect it, but to deeply appreciate it to a point where we can treat everybody in a special way but with respect and not um you know not respect disrespect anybody based on their differences and who they are if that makes sense so i think it goes a long way into being in the environment of a company and truly watching for the evidence of those biases and dealing with them head on. Um, in the companies where I've worked and been maybe one or two of people of color within the organization, it has been, it's always been evident. Um, and it's something that I've always tried to address. And you can address it without it being a fight. It doesn't have to be a fight because a lot of the times people aren't aware like, you know, in any any negative traits we have, sometimes we're doing things and, and we're not aware of it. And and maybe we know that being a racist is wrong and you don't think that anything that you're doing is actually, um, you know, a, a dis a, um, disrespectful to anyone. So yeah. I think it's our collective responsibility as individuals in the industry to make sure that we're all showing up um, well for for our industry. Um, because if someone has one bad experience, I mean, look at my, what's it called? Mati Sport, that thing that just, that incident that just happened now in December. And yeah, we can all um, get, we can all get tainted with that. Um, and while it wasn't even a hospitality professional or employee that did that, however, creating an environment, and that's the key, where we create an environment where it's possible for something like that to happen. And, it, and, and, and a lot of the time, it's not what we're doing and it's not what we're saying. It's what we're not doing and what we're not saying. If you don't go out in your business and say, we are a business that welcomes everybody and we respect the rights of the LGBTQ plus plus community and you have that on your wall, someone sees that going in and they already know they need to go a temperature down with their you know, their biases and, 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 and homophobic tendencies, or they can decide, actually, this is not the place for me. Let me leave. And it comes back down to, to, to values, Graham, where, you know, Simon Sinek says, you look at your why and you look at, 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 at why you're in this business. And it's always connected, I think, to values. And the same goes for business. If you, if your values, you know, you, a company must have values and those values should be um, aspired to by everybody within the business. And if you say, right, these are my values, these are my beliefs and, uh, and let us put that out there. The people that are, that, that the people that are attracted to that, that respect that, that have the same values, they will support your business. And those that don't, don't. And, and that's just a fact of life. Even in life, nobody likes you. Nobody has, not everybody has to like you. And those that are, you will do great business with them and you will be great friends with them. So no, that's just my perspective on that. And that's one thing that really needs to change. And another thing is we, there's particularly in South Africa, there aren't enough young people in this industry. We, as Molomambu Relations, we ran an expo last year called Women Explore which was meant to be a platform where women could do more business with other women and young people could come in and access mentors and so on. And that's still something that we're developing. And over and above that, it was also a way to, to gather small businesses that could be included in the Satsa ecosystem. And we're also still figuring out ways of doing that. Because quite frankly, we don't have enough female business owners and we don't have enough 
youth business owners. And that again comes down to leveraging what already is there naturally, what is there in our communities, what is there in our country, and also bridging gaps. Because from what I found from everybody that registered from Women Explore and the type of businesses, typically in South Africa, particularly in the Eastern Cape, you find women playing in only certain parts of the tourism industry as owners, right? You'll have ladies owning B&Bs, um, you'll have some as travel agents, um, a few, very few as owning tour operators. So there's so many other things. Oh, and yes, in crafts as well, you'll find a lot in crafts. And there's so many other things that they can do. And it's just about exposing them to that. And Hanali who is the CEO of Satsa actually came and was a speaker at Women Explore so that we could just start uh, just start um, shedding light on exactly what else is there in the, in the industry and what other possibilities there are. And the second thing, as I said, was, was leveraging indigenous knowledge to create experiences that can be revenue streams for the community, owned by the community, um, I always make the example of Mkomboti, and I actually wrote the, I wrote the editorial comment for the beer magazine, uh, in the last quarter of 2022, and I was saying, you know, coming from the Tosa culture, um, beer, commercial beer is so taboo for ladies to drink, and has always been. However, the custodians of the beer making process in the home are always the women. And, if we, and you know, I would love to see more commercial umkomboti enterprises, bottled umkomboti, bottled kiliga. And that's indigenous knowledge. That's You don't have to teach that to someone. It's not foreign to them. They can own the production. And, and then all that is needed is really the assistance of forming the business and, and getting it to market and finding the market. And, you know, these are the type of solutions that I believe can work alongside um, existing uh, tourism products such as game reserves alongside rural, rural communities where the rural communities are using what they know, what they have, what they've grown up with to create product and experiences that they own. Instead of busing a couple of ladies or gents in just to sing, there are so many more opportunities that can link the community to, you know, hospitality and, and conservation and have them have income streams that are stemmed from their indigenous knowledge, right? What has always been theirs. So yeah, wow. that's that's my there's a lot more, but that's just No, yeah. <laughs> well yeah, maybe we need to do a part two, but uh definitely in a few months' time. We, we can re reconvene again um you know thanks thanks so much let me just see if there's any any other pressing questions that i i can ask that i usually ask uh the guests um you asked me about algoa yes yes i wanted to uh, loop back to algoa yeah. that's right so my other what I, I originally went to Rhodes to study journalism and i didn't like it as a course six months in so that didn't happen but I always worked at the community radio station and when I came back to PE originally in 2017 and I worked half day at Mantis the other half of the day I worked at Kingfisher FM and I've always had a fascination with radio and so um in you know I thought well I, the, I've always done voiceovers at Algoa FM and the opportunity came up for me to become a presenter. I was like, let me do it. And I, Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm on on Saturdays from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, graveyard shift, as they call it. Graveyard shift. But you know what? I'm a night owl. I'm up at all hours. So it's not, it's so, it's fine for me. Um, and, you know, another reason why I got back on radio, which is also the business side, is that there isn't enough tourism representation on radio and radio like whatsapp and telegram is such a an, an uh uh like it's 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 in people's everyday lives you don't have to yeah. go out of your way to to listen to the radio particularly in south africa you you switch on the radio you're in your car it's in your cooking it's in the background and it's such a beautiful medium to give 
people access to travel and it's not there. So behind the scenes, I'm looking at and working with the Algoa team at various solutions as to how we can get more representation of travel on radio and hopefully yeah hopefully we'll see something soon i don't know we'll see so i I presume algoa has got a website that listeners internationally can listen into so for the international listeners you know that's 10 p.m uh south african time so the americans and australians and the europeans uh can can listen in very very nicely uh it's it won't oh and south africans who are night owls too so what is the website address that uh international guests can log on to yeah it's algoafm.co.za and there's, there's also an app i think it's called radio garden or something i'm gonna send it to you graham there's an app when you go into the app it's like a, a, a map of the globe and you can go to any country any city and see what radio is on and you just click on that radio um or that city and the station starts playing i'll send you i'll send you that information maybe you can yeah, send, send me the link and i'll put it in i'll put it into the description of, yeah. the, of the podcast for the listeners so and then how do people get hold of you the wonderful mandiza to afford to to work with you yes yeah, so i love Mandu. linkedin you might not see me posting but if you look at my activity i'm on liking things and talking to people all the time so linkedin is the best way to get a hold of me i uh, i am Kwakaza everywhere um i am on instagram i'm on facebook and molomambi relations or at molomambi pr m-o-l-o-m-h-a-m-b-i PR that is on all social platforms perfect all right well i'll put all those links up in the description so for the listeners uh the it'll be in the podcast descriptions how to get hold of mandisa for any uh, anything that that you would like to get in touch with her about sounds like she's a busy lady and has a lot a lot going on so Thanks, Mandiza. Let's let's keep this as part one. We'll do part two <laughs> down the road and see how Molomambi is growing. And, uh, you know, if there's anything I can do from the international point of view to help the, the entities that you're working with, please reach out. I'd love to be able to assist from this side. You know, you need to develop the product and help help the, the businesses uh, there. But then also it's fantastic to have those ambassadors uh, around the world who are advocates for the product as well. So I'm more than happy to assist there if I can. Uh, And that's that I would say is that ladies and gentlemen. So thank you for listening and thank you, Mandisa. It's sure to be a very, very popular podcast and I'll send you the link Mandisa. uh, So you can also publicize it on your platforms as well. And I think there are some fantastic insights that you've shared. Uh, definitely, definitely uh, inspirational. And I think that, yeah, it's going to make a lot of people sit up and think, you know, let's let's get cracking in, in, in rebuilding the industry. I also just want to add that, you know, some people, you, you and I, and there's, there's so many talks about, you know, productivity and positivity, but there are still a lot of people who are struggling in the tourism mm-hmm. industry and trying to recover from the business losses that they endured during COVID. And to those people, I just want to say, keep on going. You've got a lot of support. We will help you as much as we can. Reach out as you know to anybody. Don't feel alone. I know we had the spirit of everybody being in the same boat during COVID, and that's kind of fading a bit. Don't feel left behind. If you are still struggling, reach out. And and we can see what we can do to assist your business get back on get back on track. And I, I just mm-hmm. want to say that as well. I think a lot of people are are wondering what's wrong with me. You know why why am I not recovering um, as fast as everybody else? My advice, and I'm sure you agree, is, is they shouldn't feel that way because you know there are a lot of people still struggling, and a lot of us are trying to assist. Um, and it is one big happy family, and I think we must all just help each other i think ubuntu is thriving in the tourism industry absolutely and i agree completely graham especially in our part of the world where we have additional challenges like load shedding and just the mismanagement of our resources as a country 
it is taking a lot of people a lot longer to to recover. And if you contact me, you'll see on our website, there's an option to get a 30-minute free consult. Sometimes it's about just talking to someone and just thinking through your rut, right? Or bouncing your thoughts of someone that's very far removed from the situation. And I'm, I'm happy to do that. Uh, I usually set aside Fridays and I try and, and assist a couple of people there within my network. So I'm, I'm, I'm here if someone needs to call and just chat about just some business challenges and just see if there's a fresh perspective that might assist. Awesome. Thanks, Mindy. So, so I'll put all your contact details and uh, yeah, that, that free consult, I'm sure will be beneficial to a lot of people. So thank you and happy Monday and happy, happy week, happy 23, happy, happy yes, everything. Happy, happy. And we will, I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting to you again, Mandy. So thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you, Graham. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the conversation, then please subscribe leave us a great review, and even check out our Patreon page. Until next time, I'm Graham Watson, and thanks for listening to the Cooser Cast.